And welcome back into another edition of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Show. I'm Jeremy Bolker, and we're going to be joined by the longtime host of RLA Radio and frequent keynote speaker, uh, Dennis Tubergen. And uh, Dennis, hey, uh, another great uh, weekend story in, here in Michigan. Yeah, Jeremy, uh, nice to be back with you today. And Dennis, uh, you know, we, we, we've really been following along with some neat things that we've been talking about affecting this U.S. economy and just giving sort of the backstory on how things uh, uh, how things operate. And it's more than meets the eye, like the old Transformer uh, uh, sign and uh, expression. But, you know, uh, last week we had referred to and you really recently wrote about BRICS countries uh, and then moving away from the U.S. dollar and international trade. So I want you to tell us what BRICS are, B-R-I-C-S countries, but also this impact of the the U.S. dollar in moving away from it and explaining how the U.S. dollar has been, you know, people don't realize that as a central world currency for so long. When you start getting countries moving away from it, what are the impacts? It's not just our own economy here, but it starts to affect things worldwide too. So maybe I got a lot there for you. Okay, but uh, maybe you could explain what BRICS countries are and then all this impact and what this all means. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, sure. So BRICS is an acronym. So Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. Take the first letter of each of those countries, official names, and you get the acronym BRICS. So BRICS is an alliance that uh, our listeners maybe should think about it as um, kind of a, I don't know if an anti-dollar alliance is too strong, but um, they certainly have an economic alliance here. And as a result of their recent summit in South Africa, they're now inducting six new countries into this coalition. So the acronym may change, but Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, and then here are the biggies, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates are now going to be part of BRICS as of the first of the year. So right now, the BRICS countries, as I'll talk about with our special guest today, Kevin Demerit, in uh, the second and third segments, the BRICS countries are about 40% of the world population. And with the addition of Iran, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates, the BRICS countries now uh, control almost half of all world oil production. So... <clears throat> When you when you look at what's going on around the world, you you, you have th th these Russian sanctions, and and again, I'm not going to bat for Vladimir Putin here, but when you look at how the Russian sanctions have played out, they've really backfired as far as the U.S. dollar is concerned. Um, you have anybody that wants to buy energy from Russia now cannot use dollars; they have to use uh, either rubles or gold or or something else. Um, so that has accelerated the move away from the U.S. dollar. And now we're seeing this big move away from the dollar. And as we do that, uh, fewer countries are going to need to inventory at least as many U.S. dollars to use in trade. That's going to mean a lot of these dollars uh, come back to the U.S. And that will likely feed inflation, in my view. So um, I think ultimately this move away from the dollar is accelerating. And I expect ultimately it will lead to more inflation. Okay. And that's what you're exactly saying here with the, the U.S. dollar and how it's concerned. But uh, with this with this problem and moving away from the U.S. dollar, these things are somewhat intertwined, aren't they, Dennis, too? Because now we're looking at a problem with the debt financing when you have the inflation. 
uh, and you have this moving away from the U.S. dollar, and now, uh, you know, how does this impact the 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 debt financing for the U.S. government, and what is what does that? So explain that, and then what does it mean to like, let's say, you and me, okay, and how that affects, uh, and and how that's you know going to affect us. Well, Jeremy, I think when you you first of all, um, inflation really has come about uh, largely because the U.S. has financed a lot of its debt by, frankly, just creating currency, by printing currency out of thin air. When our listeners hear the term quantitative easing, that is just an academic term, meaning we're creating currency out of thin air. So here is what's happened. And then more importantly, here's where we're going. This year, uh, despite the fact that there's no pandemic, there's no emergency, there will be a $2 trillion deficit. So there's $2 trillion the U.S. government will spend that they do not have tax revenues um, to to account for. So they're they're spending $2 trillion more than they take in. So what does that mean? That $2 trillion has to come from somewhere. Well, as soon as you put $2 trillion out in the economy that you don't have, it's like you and I going out and borrowing our rich uncle's credit card and saying, wow, look at all the money I can spend. Look at all the money I can spend. This is great. It seems like there's a lot of prosperity until rich uncle pulls the credit card or we hit the limit on the credit card. So we're rapidly approaching that point. And I think that point could be approaching here this next year. This, to me, was a startling statistic. And I'm writing about it in the October special report. And and Jeremy, before I forget, um, I'd like to remind the listeners that I've got the autumn economic forecast special report that they can get. If they want to go to the website, requestyourreport.com, I'll be glad to send it out to them along with some bonus information. But in the next 12 months, 31% of all U.S. government debt that is outstanding will mature. So what does that mean? It means that countries that own U.S. Treasury bills or U.S. Treasury notes, and uh, basically a bill is going to be shorter term, a, a bill is going a shorter term and notes are going to be midterm, but there's $7.6 trillion maturing. So the U.S. government is going to have to come up with $7.6 trillion to pay off these people if they decide not to roll over the debt, and some of it will, and they're going to have to finance another $2 trillion deficit. So in the next 12 months, there's $9.6 trillion of debt that needs to be financed or refinance. Let me remind you that total U.S. government debt right now is $33 trillion. So your question is, how will this affect us? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll just ask the listeners to think about this for a minute. How many people think, listening to this, that the U.S. government will be able to sell $10 trillion almost of debt? Or do you think that maybe the Fed's going to have to step in and create some more currency to get that done? And if they do, it will mean that will probably see more inflation because the bottom line is this, creating currency out of thin air leads to inflation. So I'm expecting that we're going to see inflation. And if you look at the most recent consumer price index report, inflation is is heating up again. And we've never gotten rid of inflation. I mean, prices haven't gone down. Just the rate of the increase has slowed a bit. But now I expect that's going to reaccelerate moving ahead. So I would advise people to take steps in their portfolio to add assets that will likely do well in an inflationary environment. And, you know, Dennis, I almost equate it to 
uh, people don't want to necessarily make changes because we, we had gone through some tougher periods here the last 12 to 18 months, uh, you know, a stock market in that too. And it's recovered some of those gains. So I would say it's pretty resilient. Uh, and, you know, I think we like to think of us, ourselves as America as being very, you know, resilient, uh, and even with these high interest rates. But uh, it's not always the, you know, entire story. So, you know, ha- what should we keep in mind? Because we've, we've, we've had these gains, but what, what should we be thinking about more than just uh, our quick look at a statement? Well, that, that's a really good point. And it's a point that I think uh, many people just don't understand and, and it's hard to get your arms around. So when you look at the U.S. economy, uh, third quarter economic growth uh, is is very robust. Um, You know, 5.9%, I think, is the growth in the economy in the third quarter. Now, how is growth in the economy measured? Well, it's investment in the economy, it's consumer spending, and it also includes government spending. So when the government spends money, it adds to gross domestic product, which is the measure of economic output. So we have about a $25 trillion economy. Well, when the government spends $2 trillion it doesn't have, which they will this year, $2 trillion of that $25 trillion is spending money on the rich uncle's credit card, like we just talked about. So if you were to balance the budget, GDP would be cut by $2 trillion or 8%. So the only reason we have a growing economy is because the government is spending money they don't have, which adds to gross domestic product. As soon as uh, that that rooster comes home to roost, as my grandfather used to say, you're going to see things change a lot because uh, it creates some temporary prosperity, but all it does is make the long-term debt problem worse. So I think that ultimately, and then we're running out of time in this segment here, but I think ultimately what we're going to see Short term is inflation in things that we buy and deflation in things that we own. And we can talk more about my forecast if you want in the last segment of today's program. But as uh, we're ending this segment, Jeremy, I'd just like to remind the listeners that uh, if they would like to get this month's special report, it's the Autumn Economic and Investing Forecast. You can get it by visiting requestyourreport.com. All you need to let me know is where you want that report mailed, and we'll send it to you at no cost and obligation. And uh, we'll also send you a copy of the revenue sourcing book that contains a retirement planning strategy for the current economy. And uh, we will also send you a copy of the little black book on social security maximization. So to get all that stuff, it's requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tuberg, and I have the pleasure today of welcoming to the program First-time guest, Mr. Kevin Demerit. He is the founder and president of Lear Capital. He's had Lear Capital since 1997. That is uh, uh, a household name. You've probably seen a lot of uh, Lear Capital stuff on TV, and he is a frequent commentator on all things economic. And it's a pleasure to welcome him to the program. So, Kevin, welcome. Yeah, Dennis, great to be on the program for the first time. Look forward to it. Yeah, so... Kevin, let's just start a little bit uh, about you. Tell the listeners a bit about your background and what motivates you to do what it is that you do. Yeah, so, you know, I got started in in uh, international banking um, right out of college. 
And in international banking, when you capitalize a bank, obviously you need a lot of uh, currency. And because it's international, there was a lot of different currencies out there. And so we had to hedge all of these currencies and all the different banks. And it became a little bit of a pain in the neck when you had, uh, you didn't have the euro. So you had a bunch of different European currencies and other currencies around the world. And so someone came up with this brilliant idea that why don't we capitalize some portion of the banks internationally with gold? And they put me in charge of uh, trying to figure that out. So I spent about six to nine months researching gold, finding out the best ways to hedge, how stable it was, so on and so forth. And in the end of all that, I basically quit international banking and, and started in the in the precious metals industry because I thought it was such a great investment for investors, especially uh, because my thesis was that the government was going to continue to print money at a bigger and bigger scale, which I think that worked out. Um, and the metals have done fairly well uh, also. So uh, it, I think it was a good move. So, Kevin, uh, give the listeners with with, you, with your uh, long background in the precious metals industry, with your uh, uh, expertise and, uh, and and the research you've done on on government policy, um, how do you see this all playing out moving ahead? There's there's a there's a, a crazy world out there, and that we've got what I would call an anti-dollar coalition with the BRICS countries that now just admitted Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Iran. Uh, we've got $2 trillion deficits. We've got $7.6 trillion of U.S. government debt that's going to have to be refinanced in the next year. It looks to me like the rest of the world is running away from the dollar as fast as they possibly can. How do you see it? Well, that that is my thesis. It's been my thesis for over 30 years, and I think it's uh, it, it's it's going to get worse, uh, not better. The government can't stop printing money. So if you believe that the government cannot stop printing money, then every dollar that they continue to print makes the dollars that are already out there worth less and less, and thus makes tangible type assets like real estate, precious metals, and others much more valuable in the long term. And you're absolutely right. The kind of money printing that the United States government has been doing over the course of the past you know, 15 years or so is so tremendous that you have countries that no longer want to use the U.S. dollar as the international uh, currency. Uh, so you have Brazil, Russia, China, South Africa, and India, which, by the way, Dennis, represents 40% of the world's population just those five countries looking to move away from the U.S. dollar and into their own currency because they just don't trust the U.S. dollar anymore. So to me, I look for tipping points, and that's going to be a tipping point. <clears throat> the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency. That has uh, huge ramifications for investors uh, and trade around the world. So, Kevin, I, th I think it's fair to say that the U.S. dollar is still the leading currency used in international trade. You talk about a tipping point. Uh, you want to talk about what might be the tipping point? What what might actually happen that would make the dollar now not the dominant currency used in international trade? And you want to venture out on this long, thin branch and tell us when you think that might happen? Yeah, great questions. Uh, I'll, I'll start from the from the back end. Uh, from a historical standpoint, if you look at world reserve currencies, usually they typically last 75 to 100 years. So we're getting a little long in the tooth on how long the U.S. dollar has been the world's reserve currency. 
And there's been countries out there talking about, hey, we want to create something that can compete against the U.S. dollar, but never enough countries where you had 40% of the world's population kind of backing that situation. The other unique thing that they're doing, Dennis, with this BRICS currency is potentially uh, letting people know that they would like to back it by commodities. At this particular point, they're talking about some portion of gold. And if that happened, why would you want to hold the U.S. dollar if someone has a different currency that's literally backed by something physical and tangible that's going to hold its value that cannot be printed into oblivion? Because every time you print it, you would have to buy some gold to back it. Uh, so in my opinion, if this BRICS currency were to take hold, it would be the biggest transfer of wealth that the world has ever seen from the U.S. dollar to the new BRICS currency, if they back it by, by something tangible. And the reason I say that is if you, if you think about us trading just with gold, so forget about paper dollars for a second, but if we just traded with gold, the U.S. Uh, economy or the U.S. country, our country, runs a trillion-dollar deficit uh, in trade. Well, if we were trading in gold, then I would be giving away $1 trillion in gold to the country that I'm trading with or all the countries I'm trading with. Uh, and that matters. It doesn't matter when you're just talking paper dollars. It's a trillion dollars I gave you in paper. But when you're talking about physical assets that have true value, I've just traded a trillion dollars in gold to that other country. What's going to happen to the dollars that are out there? Those countries aren't going to want them. They all get repatriated back to the U.S., floods the economy with dollars, inflation goes through the roof, and interest rates would go through the roof. And that's what's happened in history when one country takes over another country's world reserve currency status. Usually the country that loses that has an issue with inflation and a much lower dollar value. So I hope all that makes sense. It wasn't too complicated. No, Kevin, that, that's great. In fact, uh, I'd like to uh, let the listeners know that uh, you do have a gold investor's guide and a report called the Tipping Report, if I'm uh, getting that right. And you might want to just take a minute and tell the listeners about those, and we'll get into those in detail in the next segment. But uh, I want to make sure everybody knows about the resources you have available today. Yeah, we have a, a special report we put together uh, along with our gold investor's guide called the Tipping Point. And it goes over the BRICS currency and what uh, we believe could potentially happen over the next three to five years if that happens or if another currency takes over as the world's reserve uh, currency. It also goes over the federal, uh, the Fed's digital dollar that some people may be hearing about. How would that affect your investing and, and, and your portfolio? Uh, and then just the money printing in the United States and how does that affect specifically the gold market or tangible assets as they continue to print? Uh, moving forward. So hopefully it's educational uh, for people to at least get a different perspective on um, and help them make some diversification uh, ideas. Yeah. And to get those reports, you can go to uh, www.lear.biz backslash retire, and you can call 800-314-0723. I'll give those numbers again. Uh, so Kevin, you made an interesting point that I think a lot of listeners uh, are probably not aware of, and that is that um, reserve currencies historically have had a lifespan. They're not unlike people. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? That might be news to some people that are listening. Yeah, so if you look at the, the, the world, there's been 
about seven real world reserve currencies. And each one of those currencies has lasted anywhere from, you know, a short period of time, 50, 60 years, all the way up to around 100, 110 years. So uh, that's how long they've lasted. And each time, if, 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 if you... If you wanted to educate yourself, there's a few books out there just talking about the world's reserve currencies and what happened when those changes were happening. Well, there was a couple of things. The country started printing up a bunch of the money or shrinking the value of the currency. And the reason I say both of those is because sometimes it was a paper dollar and that they they were you know just printing up money. And in other currencies, like the Roman coins, they were literally shaving off parts of the value of the coin because they were made of gold and silver. So the coin kept getting smaller and smaller. Matter of fact, an interesting point for people that I think is kind of a fun fact for people is the reeds on the edge of a quarter are not there. So you can hold the quarter. They were there as a security feature because you could tell if somebody uh, took the edge of the coin and started stripping off some of the metal. So they put reeds on the side of the coin so you could tell if that happened. That was because of the shrinkage in the value of the coin that the government was doing So or and, and, and individuals. So that's usually how it happens. It starts with a bunch of money printing or devaluing the currency. And then someone says, hey, look, this thing is just getting let, worth less and less. We're trying to trade around the world with it. It's not working. Let's move over to something that will work better. And that's where I think the BRICS currency uh, group of people are looking to back it by commodities or specifically gold uh, to give it that stability again and really move people off of the U.S. dollar. Uh, we have just uh, maybe two minutes left in this segment, Kevin. You know, you mentioned the, the the BRICS countries. They just finished a summit in South Africa in August. And leading up to that summit, it was actually teased, to use that term, that they might be introducing a gold-backed or commodity-backed currency, which did not happen. Uh, what do you read into that, if anything? Well, I, I think it's, uh, you know, they just flew a kite out there. It says, hey, look, well, how many people are going to be interested? And guess who pops out of the woodwork? Saudi Arabia, who's been our partner with the petrodollar for years and years and years, since 1974, actually. And, you know, they're interested. So, hey, let's put some ideas out there. Let's see how many people are interested and then and, and, and see if we can put this thing together over the next few years. So that's really, to me, that's where I think uh, their minds work. Interesting. Well, my guest today is Kevin Demerit. He is the founder and president of Lear Capital. He's offering the listeners a couple of free resources today, the Tipping Point Report, as well as a free gold investor's guide. You can go to www.lear.biz backslash retire or call 800-314-0723 and request those reports. Those are absolutely free, and I'd encourage you to do that. I'll be back with Mr. Kevin Demerit when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting today with the founder and president of Lear Capital, Mr. Kevin Demerit. Uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, Kevin has been gracious enough to uh, offer the listeners a couple of free reports today. Uh, the Tipping Point Report, as well as the Gold Investor's Guide. You can go to www.lear.biz backslash retire to request that report, or you can call 800-314-0723. And uh, Kevin, I was a bit remiss in the first segment, so I apologize. Uh, you also have another bonus for listeners that might be interested. So why don't we talk about that so I make sure to remember it? 
Yeah, Dennis, we, uh, you know, I really wanted to do something special. Love the program and uh, all the education that, that you've done. Uh, so we wanted to just have something a little bit special. So we're offering a $500 credit in every person's account who requests the information. And they can use that $500 credit if they do business for any shipping and insurance to get the metal to their home, or they can use it for any uh, fees for IRAs. So you can also place physical gold and silver in an IRA, and we, that $500 would cover your fees uh, to get that IRA going. So we're going to include that in each person's um, account immediately when they request the information, and they can use it at any time. Well, that's terrific. And uh, thanks for doing that for the listeners. And, and Kevin, I'd like to kind of pick up in this segment where we left off in the last segment. You know, uh, we, we talked about the lifespan of a fiat currency. And historically speaking, fiat currencies have a 100% failure rate. And from my research, when these currencies fail uh, and you have to put a new currency in place, it seems like that currency is once again linked to gold, which has been really money for most of history. Do you see it playing out the same way this time? Yeah, I, I really do, because I think, you know, the world is looking at the money printing as in total. Uh, you know, China, Europe, uh, just about everywhere, Dennis, has overprinted. And so the value of currencies are just falling. We just seem to be the, the you know, the strongest out of the the stuff that's out there. It's just horrible. I mean, uh, Robert Kiyosaki just keeps calling it toilet paper, and I 100% agree with him. But when you really look at what the central banks are doing, uh, Dennis, right now, they are purchasing more gold than they ever have in the past 50 years. So the last time they purchased as much gold as they did last year or continue to this year was in the beginning of the 70s, right before inflation. Price of gold went from around $125 an ounce to $850 an ounce. So it really... Uh, tells me that even the world central bankers at this particular point who purchased a quarter of all the mining supply of gold last year uh, are on the same page. They understand that the currency is getting worth less. So, hey, if I could print money in my garage like they can, uh, you know, with their printing presses and go buy physical assets, I would do it all day long, too. But what's interesting is that they are not hedge funds. They are not day traders. When they purchase, they typically hold for 10, 15, 20 years at a time. So I don't know if that's the exact reason, if it's inflation or if it's concerns over the BRICS currency and a new reserve currency. But this is the first time in 50 years we've seen them buy this much gold. So I think, again, they're on the same page of something's happening with currencies and we want to get ahead of it. So along those lines, Kevin, uh, give me your opinion as to what the real inflation rate is presently. Uh, we were chatting a bit uh, before we uh, actually started recording that uh, the official measure of inflation, the consumer price index, has edged up again. Uh, where do you see inflation realistically? Well, I think realistically, inflation still up around you know seven to nine percent. It's just that the government continues to change the index. Uh, almost on a yearly basis. So if you use the old index from, you know, 15 years ago, we, we'd be at 10 or 12 percent. Um, I probably wouldn't agree with it because some things are getting less expensive in, in a deflationary. I mean, computers and things like that have gotten less expensive. So but when you really look at uh, food prices, for instance, in the last since January of 2021, food prices are up 19 percent. 
Electric prices are up 23%. Well, the things I actually need are up 19 and 23%, yet the inflation rate's running at 3.7% today. It was 3.2% in July, rose to 3.7% today. It doesn't sound like a big increase, but it's a 15% increase, which is fairly large. And it's the fastest increase we've seen since inflation peaked at nine, over 9% in June of 2022. So from every aspect, it's, it, it just feels like inflation will continue at a much higher rate than the Fed's 2% rate. We're almost double that right now. So it's probably going to put a little bit of pressure on the Fed to do something, increase interest rates a little bit again or what have you. Once inflation starts to go, it's just very hard to kind of put the genie back in the bottle. So, Kevin, I've made the argument that it's going to be impossible to get inflation under control until the collective group of politicians in Washington get closer to a balanced budget or get a balanced budget, because the only way this deficit can probably be financed is through more quantitative easing or currency creation. What do you say about that? I 100 percent agree with you. I've always said there's only three ways out of this debt. Default. You print your way out of it with inflation, so you just eliminate the debt through you know, making it worthless, or you balance the budget. I never think they're going to balance the budget. I don't think they want to default, so inflation's the way to uh, you know, decrease the value of the debt that's currently out there. But Dennis, I always give this example, and this was given to me uh, by a professor in college, and I thought it, I just never forgot it. It's impossible for the government really to balance the budget or have, you know, a budget that makes any sense because they can't stop printing money. It's a, it's an absolute mathematical impossibility. And this was the example he gave. So you and I are, are on an island and uh, we, the, pretend that island's a country and you're the biggest banker on that island. And the whole island uses shells as money and there's 10 shells in total. And somehow you as the banker got all 10 shells. And I, as a business person, walk in and say, Dennis, I've got the most incredible business idea in the world. Here it is. And you agree. And you give me the 10 shells that I need to start that business. And you're going to charge me 10% interest. Again, there's only 10 shells on the whole island. At the beginning of the year and throughout the year, I use those 10 shells to start my business. At the end of the year, I, my business has done so well, I get all 10 shells back. And I come to you and I'm happy. And I said, it worked out, Dennis. This is fantastic. Here's your 10 shells. And you tell me. I foreclose on your business. Why? Because there isn't an 11th shell to pay the interest. You as the banker have to create that 10th shell or 11th shell so that I can pay my interest. And that's the way banking works. So the U.S. government is going to have a trillion dollar interest payment or more by 2030 just on interest. They're going to need to print that money for the interest plus all the other deficit spending that they do. And all the interest that you and I have on mortgage and cars and so on and so forth, if they stopped printing the money, then we couldn't pay the interest. So people have to realize if you believe that the government is going to continue to print money, then you need something to offset the devaluation of the currency you're holding in your hand today because it's impossible for them to stop. I'm chatting today with Mr. Kevin Demerit, the founder and president of Lear Capital. He's offering the listeners a couple of free reports today, the Tipping Point Report, as well as the Gold Investor's Guide. You can request them by going to the website, lear.biz backslash retire, or you can call 800-314-0723. 
So, Kevin, uh, give the listeners your forecast uh, for where you think medals go, gold, silver, and between the two, do you have a favorite? Uh, I love the gold market right now for uh, more stability because the central banks, like I brought up, are purchasing gold at a record pace and they do not sell. So from a stability standpoint, really, I think gold is is great for the stability in a portfolio. For profitability, silver is going to be a huge winner. I think it's the best double play investment that I can think of. And I say that uh, because in a great economy, just solar alone has been gobbling up so much silver that in the next 10 years, there's not going to be much silver left and you can't recycle it because they make paste out of it. So the demand for silver from solar is is incredible. And then you add in medicine and all the other things uh, that they're using silver for uh, should be uh, great in a good economy. In a bad economy, like we had in 2008, the silver price went to $49 an ounce. So we already know that it can get there and it's trading at around $23 today. So we have a catastrophe and gold or silver skyrockets quickly. And in a great economy, if we don't have a recession, I think it plugs along and uh, you'll see it at $35 or $37 an ounce over the next few years. That's my prediction. You know, I interview uh, a gentleman uh, that does a lot of market analysis and it's his take that the last two gold bull markets have seen gold prices rise about 700%. So he's saying we're going to see seven or $8,000 an ounce in gold. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you think that's a possibility? Do you think that's uh, up there? Uh, we have $3,500 an ounce in the next two to three years based on central bank buying, uh, inflation being a little bit higher. Uh, so we have it around that number. And in a so we have two analysis. It, it just if the economy does not go into recession, that's where we believe that it could potentially go. And about five thousand is where we believe it could go in a recession uh, similar to that we had with the dot com crash or in two thousand and eight. So I've got about a minute and a half left in this segment. You brought up the R word recession. It's my take that we may already be in a recession, and I tend to be optimistic. What's your take? Well, I think a recession is coming up. Personal debt near record levels, credit card debt at record levels, late payments on vehicles are climbing at a record pace. You know, consumers are starting to be tapped after all the free money from COVID and higher interest rates, higher inflation that we saw, you know, again here today. Um, I think it's going to make it much harder uh, for consumers. And that usually is the breaking point for, you know, the economy. So uh, I 100% there's a, believe there's a recession coming. Well, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Kevin Demerit. He is the founder and president of Lear Capital. The Tipping Point Report, as well as the Gold Investor's Guide, are available free by visiting lear.biz backslash retire, or you can call 800-314-0723. Kevin, always uh, uh, it's been a real pleasure to, to catch up with you here today, and I'd love to have you back down the road. I appreciate your perspective, and I know the listeners do too. So thank you for joining us. Oh, you bet. Love to come back. Thanks, Dennis. We will return after these words. And welcome back into the final segment of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Show, RLA Radio Show. I'm Jeremy Bolker, uh, alongside our host and frequent keynote speaker, uh, Dennis Tubergen. And uh, Dennis, in this uh, final segment here, we got to get some good insight uh, from our, our guests there at uh, Lear Capital and 
Uh, I want you to sort of maybe wrap this together with what you think now and with based on based on what you just heard and what our listeners just heard. Does that change anything with your forecast for the U.S. economy? And what are your thoughts right there? I think, Jeremy, it it, it validates it. Uh, if, if you look at some of the things that uh, Kevin brought up, some of the same stats that I have been quoting, uh, first of all, the U.S. consumer is strapped. Uh, we have student loan payments that are going to begin again in October. We've got credit card delinquencies now at regional banks approaching 8%. We have uh, auto loan delinquencies rising. Uh, by all accounts, the American consumer is strapped. That really negatively impacts the U.S. economy because the U.S. economy, we talked about in the first segment, that gross domestic product or economic output is based upon primarily uh, three things. And one of those things is consumer spending. So when the consumer does not have discretionary income to spend, the economy contracts. Uh, so, so I believe that, uh, recession is inevitable. Um, I believe we may already be in a recession. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but typically, uh, GDP estimates are, uh, adjusted a few times. So we, we won't know for a little while, but even if we're not in recession at this point, I believe the, uh, we are headed there and I believe it will be a deep recession because of how dependent the U.S. economy is on consumer spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a couple things, Dennis, got to make sure if you're not getting this report to do it, request your report.com request your report.com, um, get signed up there for, for, for that. The other thing too, uh, you know, we get an opportunity during this program, uh, you get a lot of opportunities for, for books and, and reports and all that stuff is housed right at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Uh, and check that out. I just want to make sure we got, got that in there, uh, Dennis, uh, you know, as well as a lot of great information. Um, so keeping that in mind, going going back to what you're you were saying about the the doom and gloom. Hey, it's not Halloween yet. What's with the Grim Reaper here? Not, nah, but anyway, I'd like to know your forecast for stocks. Well, keeping I that think, same thing in mind. How's that impact? Yeah, Jer- Jeremy. I think first of all, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just calling it as I see him. So uh, yeah, I want I want people to be ready. But I, I look at stocks. I'll give you one. Uh, one measure of stocks that really has now become almost universally accepted as a good measure as to the valuation of stocks. Uh, this this measure or this metric is called the Buffett indicator. And it's called the Buffett indicator now because Warren Buffett at one point said it was his favorite way to determine if stocks were fairly valued. So the way this indicator works is this. You take the entire value of the stock market. That's called market capitalization. But you take every share of stock that exists, you take the value per share, you add it all together, and you get the total worth of the stock market. That's called market capitalization. You then divide that by whatever gross domestic product is, whatever economic output is. So basically, it compares the value of the stock market to economic output. So if you think about it, it's pretty logical. First of all, it takes the devaluation of the dollar into account because gross domestic product is measured in dollars, market capitalization is measured in dollars. So the dollar now becomes 
kind of insignificant to to this metric, which I think is important as inflation kicks in. So you take total stock market value, divide by gross domestic product, and if stocks are low relative to economic output, then they're undervalued. If they're high relative to economic output, then they're overvalued and a correction might be more likely. Well, at the end of 2021, stocks were about 220% of the economy. So at the end of 2021, I said, we're very close, I believe, to a correction. Now, let me compare that to where stock valuations were using this indicator at the time of the financial crisis. At the time of the financial crisis back in 2007, 2008, it was about 110%. It was about half that. And before the tech stock bubble unwound, it was about 150%. Presently, that valuation indicator stands at 160%, the second highest ever and higher valuations than we saw prior to the tech stock bubble unwinding. My forecast for stocks is that we probably have another 40 to 50% downside here at a minimum. More would not surprise me. So if you're approaching retirement, one thing to think about is, do you want to keep using those same accumulation strategies as you're now getting close to retirement and you need to start thinking about distribution? And uh, typically for many people, that answer is no. You need to really change gears and come up with a good distribution plan here. So can you sneak this in, Dennis, in about the two minutes remaining? Bond funds and individual bonds. And then I wonder how this affects your gold and silver prediction here, too, then. Okay, a lot there. So bond funds I would avoid. I believe as interest rates go up, uh, bond funds go down. Individual corporate bonds held to maturity, there may be a place for in a portfolio. Um, now, if you don't know what an individual corporate bond is, a bond has you really loaning a company money. So if you loan a company money, all the assets of that company collateralize that loan, and that company pays you interest. So owning them individually can make sense in this environment, in my view. Owning a bond fund in this environment, I believe, could be uh, a surefire way to lose money. As far as gold goes, as far as silver goes, um, I agree with uh, Kevin Demerit, who I had on the program today. Um, I believe that tangible assets in part of your portfolio uh, are really important. I might even use the word critical. I might even use the word vital. Um, I believe that you want to have assets in your portfolio that can't be printed. So that likely means that gold and silver moving ahead will do quite well. Uh, I believe that at some point we will follow the track of history, as I mentioned with uh, Kevin on today's program, that we will likely see uh, gold or maybe gold and silver actually become money again. And we do have central banks around the world who control the issue of fiat currencies now buying gold, uh, as Kevin pointed out. So, um, Short term, uh, I would be very bearish on stocks, bearish on bond funds, potentially bullish on some individual corporate bonds. I would be bullish on gold and silver, but all those things have to be purchased in the context of a retirement income plan. So more information at requestyourreport.com. We'll send you a box of stuff. Looks like I'm out of time. We'll be back again next week. <laughs> 